0: Greetings in Jesus' name, I'm Bishop Chester Wright and this is the video teaching series Our Motives from God's Perspective Part 4 Part 4, the theme of Part 4 is Living the Crucified Life This is lesson number 6 and it, the title of this or the theme of this is a uh, a play on the words uh, joining thorn and infirmities and Calling this the glory, glorying in the thorn, glorying in the thorn. Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve verses nine and ten, Paul said, and he said unto me, uh, concerning his prayers that the thorn in the flesh, which is a messenger of Satan, sent to buffet him, would be removed. God said, My grace is sufficient for thee; my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore. Will I rather glory in my infirmities, my thorns, that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul said that by revelation he gloried in these things because they enabled the power of God to rest upon him. That was his revelation. Could his thorn in the flesh be the long list of the sufferings that he experienced? I totally believe that's the case. If so, could they have been the means of his crucifixion with Christ? Yes, according to my faith. Is that the reason that he gloried his infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses? Yes. Paul said that he gladly accepted weakness so that he could be strong. So we're going to look at this word, which uh, we have not uh, really gotten into the depth of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, when I am weak, then I am strong. So when I am strong, I must be weak then. Absolutely. Let's, as is one of my habits uh we will look at different translations of this verse just to get the full flavor of what the greek language is saying to us and that's the divinely inspired word the original language uh the living bible which is not a translation but a paraphrase so you don't base bo- doctrine on this is just for comparison's sake since i know it is all for christ's good i am quite happy about the thorn and about insults and hardships Persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then am I strong. The less I have, the more I depend on him. Uh, For a paraphrase, that's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, The Amplified Version says, So for the sake of Christ, I am well pleased and take pleasure in infirmities, insults, hardships, persecutions, perplexities, and distresses. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am truly strong, able, powerful in divine strength. We expanded translation of the New Testament says this says this way, Wherefore, I am well content in weaknesses, in insults, in necessities, in persecutions, and in circumstances under which I am subject to extreme pressure on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am filled with ability and power, and I'm adding, from God. The Bible in basic English says, So I take pleasure in being feeble, in unkind words, in needs, in cruel attacks, in troubles on account of Christ. For when I am feeble, then am I strong. And finally, the Good News Translation uh, says, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just for a little bit here, I want to look at a couple of the original Greek words uh, and find out what their definitions are so we get the full flavor of what it is the Lord is saying. According to uh, uh, Strong's, the word therefore here is the translation of the word which means through which thing, consequently. Therefore, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now the word therefore there, through which thing or consequently whereof, on account of, is a reference back to what he said uh, before this verse. My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength may perfectly perfect in weakness, Lord said. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my thorns, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, on account of this, uh, consequently, wherefore, wherefore I take pleasure in, I take pleasure in, uh, the word here is a. It's really a good word here. Okay, uh, it is the Greek strong says the word means to think well of, to approve of, specifically to approbate. And Webster says the word approbate means to approve or sanction. Now, <laughs> we spend so much time trying to pray off of us the things that Paul is taking pleasure in to that. He's thinking well of. And, uh, the root word of this think well of is I have a choice and I'm making the choice, I prefer, I choose. So he didn't just think well of, but the root idea of this think well of or approve is, I have a choice and I choose. What is my choice? I don't choose the circumstances. Those are chosen for me. But I choose my attitude about them. I choose my the faith I'm going to have toward them. I choose that. I choose that Vine says this about the word pleasure I take pleasure in uh, it means to be well pleased to be well pleased to think good of this comes from this word Greek word comes from two words and the root the primary word is please and the prefix is well so. He's not just thinking good about it. He's not just, uh, submitting to it, but he is well pleased. He's well pleased. I'm not just, I'm not just surrendering fatalistically. Well, what choice do I have? No. I have, I have gotten Paul is saying to us, I've gotten the revelation of what this is doing for me now and what it's going impact it's going to have for me in eternity. And I realize that because of these things, God is going to be able to use me even more powerfully than I've ever been used. And I will still end up being saved because these things guarantee that I'm not tempted to take the glory, the credit. They guarantee it. So I, I'm happy about them. Uh, Vine says that this word not merely is an understanding of what is right and good as in Dokia uh, the the word please, but it is you Dokia EU you Dokia, which is I am well pleased I have more, I I have more than just a good understanding of what is right and good, but I'm happy about it. It is, Vine says it is stressing the willingness and the freedom of an intentional resolve regarding what is good. So he was welcoming these things because of what God was going to do to use them to help him Always give God the glory which would enable him to be used mightily of God and still be saved. I'm paraphrasing a phrase that others have used, uh, and this is the way that I use it. The world has yet to see what God can do through just one person, that he can have absolute certainty that that person will never touch his glory no matter how much God uses them. The world has yet to see what God is able to do through just one person that he can be absolutely certain that person will not touch his glory and never touch his glory regardless of what God chooses to do through them. I believe that with everything in me. The word of God has much to say about the place of thorns in our lives. And here are just a few scriptures on this very subject. And I'm going to be reading several. And I said few because it's few in regard to the whole of all the ones that could be used. But these are the ones that I feel specifically I'm supposed to read to you. And there's several passages. And a couple of them are a little longer reading. Uh, But we've got to get this revelation. We've got to see that Paul is not some weirdo, that you you will hear it from James, you'll hear it from Peter, you'll hear it from uh, uh, others, uh, and uh, I will acknowledge which one it is if, if I haven't included here. So you will, you will you, from their writings or whoever it is, that God is at work in us and using what the world means to do and the devil means to do for evil against us, God means to be, we good. That's why there's no such thing as having a great revival without great persecution. There's no such thing as having a great harvest in the earth without great persecution. There's no such thing. So we'll start off with James chapter 1 verse 2. And listen to this. Listen. Note in each one of these situations the attitude, the spirit we're supposed to have. It's not a fatalistic attitude Well, there's nothing I can do about it so I might as well go through it. But there is the positive, faith-filled, trusting attitude that says, God loves us, he's in charge, and he's doing things for me that I can't possibly do for myself so that he can do things through me that I'll never be able to do. So James 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word patience, there, as I've taught in another lesson, is "hupomeni." That's not a correct pronunciation, but it's close enough for me because <laughs> I don't—I don't know how to do it otherwise. Uh, it means endurance, and it comes from two root words that means to stay under. So, when you fall, it count it joy when you fall into t- diverse temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith works patience. So it teaches you how to trust God and stay under the circumstances till God is finished. And that's what the next verse says. But let patience have her perfect or her complete work that you may be finished and entire, lacking or wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, now he gets more specific. If any of you lack wisdom, just as a matter of principle, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven of the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the words, word double-minded there comes from the Greek word that means two-spirited, literally. Two-spirited. I'm listening to my flesh. I'm listening to the Spirit of God. And I I, I do the will of God sometimes, and I do what I want to do sometimes. Well, that, that, per, that person is considered by God spiritually unstable, no matter how stable they look to be to the, to the man's eyes. And prayer doesn't work for them. It doesn't work for them. That's why they do stuff for God because their prayer doesn't work and God doesn't do it through them. Doesn't do it for them. So they have to preach for God. They have to live for God. They have to work for God because they are two-spirited. They're listening to two spirits. The spirit of God and their own human spirit and the voice of the adversary using their flesh. So God allow circumstances to come in my life so that my faith can be tried and perfected. The Greek word therefore trying of your faith if I remember correctly, it does not mean testing for the purpose of failing but testing for the purpose of purifying and thus approving. God's not trying to make us fail. God's trying to help our faith grow. You can't build strength without resistance. That's the whole purpose of weightlifting. You can't build muscle and strength without resistance. It's resistance training. There has to be a load you're lifting, and you lift it until you can't lift it, and you do that day after day, and you're able to lo- lift more and more load every day. Well, that principle was God's before it was ever those that are bodybuilders or anybody else that's using those principles. That's God's percent principles. He designed the body. But he designed the body to demonstrate this principle to us. Our faith is like a spiritual muscle, so to speak, in principle. The only way to build it is to it has to have resistance. It has to be used. And I don't use my faith for what I believe I can do. Because my motive says I need to do this so God will approve of me. And I can call it faith and people can call it faith. But if I'm doing it, it's not faith at all. So let's go on to another passage here. This is uh, when Peter and John were called uh, before the council uh, and in Jerusalem in Acts chapter five, beginning with verse 29 and uh, uh, I guess it was more than one because then Peter verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered. So they, I guess they were all called on the carpet. I'd have to look at that again and make sure exactly how many was there. I, I forget. Uh, but they were called on the carpet because they were preaching Jesus. They had Peter and John had prayed for the lame man in chapter 3 of Acts, which produced a great revival, which disturbed the leaders of the the Jewish faith, called them before the carpet, commanded them not to preach or teach anymore that name. And they did it again, so they called them back before, and, and this is where this starts. Then Peter and John the other apostles said, Uh, we ought to obey God rather than man. You tell us we can't do this, but we're going to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, They were cut to their heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation. This was also Paul's instructor, Paul's primary mentor. We find that out later. Uh, uh, A doctor of the law had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So he wanted to talk to the leaders, but he didn't want the, them there. So he moved, they were moved out where they couldn't hear the conversation. And he said unto them, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. What ye intend to do as, as touching these men for before these days, rose up Thudius, uh, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400 joined themselves who was slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this manner rose up, Judas of Galilee, uh, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. Lest haply by chance ye be found even to fight against God. Be careful that you're not fighting against men, but against God. To him, they all agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jerusalem, in the name of Jesus and let them go. Name of Jerusalem. That they should not speak in Jerusalem. was what I was thinking. In the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name, and daily in the temple and every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They ceased not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. So <laughs> they they didn't go and go oh, oh somebody help me we've been beaten and it. it's oh this is so bad. I, well, how did I get mixed up in this? No, no. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, when somebody badmouths you, do you do that? Or how about, you uh, refrain from witnessing to somebody because you're afraid they will get upset with you or curse you out or reject you. Or you don't go knocking on doors because they may slam your, the door in the face and that would be so hurtful. <laughs> that would hurt so much, forgive me. But it's ludicrous because that whole protect me thing is wrong motive. I don't trust my father to protect me. I don't trust my father to not let anything happen to me that's not his absolute will. And so I protect myself because he can't be trusted, right? No, no. Hear me right now. One of the main reasons I have been compelled of the Holy Ghost to teach this whole series on motives, and I'm not done yet with part four, and that'll be part four is the last of the part uh, of this series. But, not done yet, but the reason I felt compelled to do this is if we don't get right motives and we don't understand how all this works and if we don't understand being crucified with Christ, there's going, to be people, there's going to be people that go to hell that have lived faithfully for God, lived for God faithfully for years. Go to church faithfully, pay their tithes faithfully, live separated faithfully. They weren't holy, they just lived separated. Obey the pastor faithfully. And yet their motives weren't right. And the moment God lets stuff begin to happen negative to them, they have a problem. They walk away. And according to Jesus, they're not going to just walk away. When the heat's on, they're going to betray the people they went to church with to try to prove that they're not like them when the heat's on. Praise God. Let's go on. First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. through many types, manifold temptations or testings, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We read these words; they're pretty words. They're beautiful words. Uh, they they sound so good, but we don't really apply them and say, "What does that mean to me?" That means. I'm going to be going through some bad stuff from a human perspective. And my faith is going to be tried. It's going to be tested whether or not I keep my faith or give it up. Or whether I trust God or I only trust myself. Whether I trust God or men, including me. And it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be easy. The trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold, though it be tried with fire. Gold is tried by fire. Our faith will be tested by fires, the fires of temptations and trials and tests. Paul's thorn in the flesh, Paul's infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though ye, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end or the product of or the completion, the fulfillment of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. My friend, it is, uh, absolutely essential that you and I allow the Lord Jesus Christ to prepare us now to be approved of then. Every opportunity, every test, every trial here is a purifying of my faith, a testing of my faith, to make my faith reliable here so that it will pass the test of judgment then. Let's go a little different perspective. Okay? Here's Paul. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Some of the most beautiful verses in all of the scripture. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith in the disgrace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. There Paul goes again, right? This is Romans, not Corinthians, right? Not only so. We, we, Let me read verse 2 again. By whom also, Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace, which enables us to stand, wherein we stand, by which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that God's going to be glorified. And the word glory, there's doxa, and it means the self-manifestation of the self-revelation of God. And I, I, I hope to see that. I hope to be a part of that. And the word hope doesn't mean wish. Hope is greater than faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But hope is confident expectation that what I'm believing for is going to happen. So, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tri- tribulations, ellipsis pressure, trials, tests. Knowing that tribulation works or produces or causes to, to be and to become active, patience, cupomene, to stay under, endurance. And patience, and the there are words that are implied but are not there because of the grammatical rule of redundancy, and patience worketh Experience. I've got some track record in God. He's come through and come through and come through and come through. And my my faith and my trust just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Because he has allowed me to go through tribulations. And those tribulations have enabled me to endure. I didn't give up. And not giving up is giving me experience in God because he's come through. And experience Hope or experience worketh hope. And my experience in God produces confident expectations. That's how I've got this confidence expectation i am rejoiced in of the glory of God. And he didn't stop there. And hope, if you have confidence expectations, God never going to let you be ashamed because it didn't happen. And hope makes it not ashamed. Why? Because on this account, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. (laughs) How awesome is that? So look at the progression. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, colon. What, What follows the colon explains what was just said. And if you look at the punctuation, from verse 1 through 5, you'll find it's one of famous Paul's famous uh, one sentence. It's all one sentence. One sentence. So what does it mean to be justified by faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? By whom also we have access by faith into this grace where we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also, knowing that, tribulation worketh patience. And we know that patience works experience. And we know that experience works hope. And we know that if we have hope, we will will never be made ashamed for having hope. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So, the starting point for all that process... I receive the Holy Ghost, and I continue to live in the Holy Ghost and walk in the Holy Ghost and let him work in my life. So by the Holy Ghost that's given in me, put in me, that abides in me, that enables me to go through this process of allowing the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet us, buffet me. So that I will not be exalted above measure, so God can use me in any way He wants, and He gets the glory. Praise God. Let's move on. First uh, Peter chapter four, verse twelve. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. And if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified because you don't let them affect your commitment to God. That by his grace, he's empowering you to be faithful. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Wow, Peter, Holy Ghost, that is some really good stuff right there. So I I, I was taught by well meaning people. I was taught as I was growing up, that if you're in the will of God, everything will go great. But if things aren't growing get great, you're not in the will of God. I was a young pastor doing the best I could, frustrated out of my mind. Nothing was working. Nothing was working. and And, and no matter what I tried, it wasn't working because I was trying to do it for God. I didn't understand that. So I'm fussing with God. Lord, just tell me what I've done wrong and I'll repent so we can fix all this because nothing's working. Because if if I was doing right in your will, everything would be working great. And the fact that nothing is working means I'm out of your will. And, And he spoke to me and said, so what was it that Job did out of my will? What did Job do? I bragged on Job and said he was perfect and upright in all of his ways. Did I miss it? Was I wrong? No. perfect Job was perfect and upright in all his ways. But there were two things in his heart that had not yet manifested themselves, so they had not become ways. He feared. And when his kids got killed, he said, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. That's why he was so careful to always offer sacrifice for his kids every time they got together because he didn't know what they did and that he didn't want to displeasing God. And then when his friends accused him of really messing up with God, that's why he was being punished like this, he began to declare his innocence. And the Lord said, are you going to condemn me that you can be righteous? So the seeds of all that were there, but they hadn't been manifested. But God knew if he gave him double, those things would be manifested And they would destroy Job because things would be going so well that they wouldn't just be hidden in his heart anymore. Now they would become his ways. So Job wasn't out of the will of God. He hadn't done anything. God said he was perking up right in all his ways. So if we don't understand this, we can be in the perfect will of God and things not going good at all. It's also been my experience that when God has given me a direction or a promise or reveal His will to me, a lot of times all kind of bad stuff breaks loose to war against me doing that will, to test my resolve and my commitment to the will of God in spite of all the negativity. In spite of it. Romans eight as the last passage we'll cover here, Romans eight chapter thirty one, chapter eight, verse thirty one. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then Paul begins to make one of the most amazing declarations of the constancy and the faithfulness of God, regardless of circumstances in our lives. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. It is God that justifies. Who's going to be able to say, you're guilty. You're a bunch of guilty people because God is justified. Justification is the act, the process. Righteousness is the product. Justification is making someone innocent who was guilty. And only God can do that. They taught us in Sunday school that justification was God making it just as if we'd never done what we had repented for. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to be justified. They're not the same process. And then he asked this question, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, Also, who also maketh intercession for us. You can't condemn me. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, not after their own will but after the will of God. There's no condemnation. Why? Because all of my guilt and shame he's taken away. It's Christ that died. You can't condemn me of something he's already taken care of, whether man or God. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution. Wait, wait a minute. Let me go back here a minute. Who is he that condemneth? is Christ that died. I'll share a testimony without giving you a name. Uh, brother in our church is, works in one of the security agencies. And every year uh, they do uh, polygraph tests, lie detector tests. And uh, he was giving me a testimony. He said in the past, they would only ask you about your job. And things about your job to see whether or not you were telling the truth about your uh, faithfulness to uh, your vow to keep things secret it's supposed to be secret but he said now they're dealing dealing with uh character issue issues and and he said and I just went through one and they asked me the question have you ever betrayed anybody well he said you know several years ago I had a problem with addiction to pornography and of course, I felt like that was being not only betraying the Lord, but it was betraying my wife. Well, God delivered me of that. So I'm sitting there and, they, and, he, and I'm going through this polygraph test and it's for the government. And if I don't pass this test, I lose my job. And he said, they asked me the question, have you ever betrayed anyone? And he said, I rapidly thought in my mind, well, uh, if I tell them, yes, I may lose my job. If I tell them, no, the machine's going to make show sure that I'm lying. He said, I thought about it. And I thought, I'm going to trust the blood of Jesus. If I've truly been delivered and forgiven, then he's justified and made it as if I've never done it before. And so he said, no, I haven't betrayed anyone. And the machine never registered a thing. And after he was done and the man said, well, you've passed. He said, before I left the room, I told the man what happened. He said, let me tell you something. Years ago, I had a problem with uh, an addiction to pornography and uh, God delivered me. But I considered that, that, that addiction to be a betrayal to God and to my wife. He said, but God delivered me. He forgave me and made it just, it made it just as if I had done it. And he said, when you asked me that question, and I told you no. And your machine proved that there's nothing in my conscience about that, that God has taken all of that away. So who is he that canemeth, is Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. Oh, and the operator of the polygraph test said, there's no way that should have happened. Of course, from their perspective, it didn't. But from God's persp- perspective, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, but you've been justified, but you've been sanctified by the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You're no longer that. It's gone. <laughs> so verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril of sword? As it is written, for thy sakes, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, I can let these things separate me from the love of Christ. I can be so interested in living for Christ that I don't want to li- die, w- be crucified with Christ. And if that happens, I'm going to let those things separate me from Christ because why is he letting this happen to me? I'm a Christian. And look at all I do. I go to church, I pay my tithes, I live separated, I obey the pastor. Look at all I do. Yeah. And so I let those things separate. But if I am, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. If I'm submitted to that, if I'm allowing the Lord to do work these things in my life for his good and for my good eternally, I'm not going to have that, that attitude. So Paul said, verse 37, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Because the love of God working in our lives by the spirit and the word of God is called the grace of God, which is enabling me to do what I cannot do myself. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friend, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do a work in your life and my life. It is the will of God for us to seek for the grace of God to teach us so that we may receive his revelation of the purposes for him allowing trials and tests, pain, problem, and pressures in our lives. It's all for his sake and it's all for his glory and we get to be a part of it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I loose the spirit of grace upon you and me that the Lord Jesus Christ, by the word of God, by the love of God, by the spirit of God, by the power of God, by the authority of God, by the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, would work these things in our lives so that we can walk with him in pure motives and be the conduit that he has desires us to be so that he can complete his will in the earth and his will through us, the part of I, he has for us to do in Jesus name. God bless you. Amen.